whatever we ask. And then Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. Here is a case where, where James and John are asking without having paid the price for asking. Elisha, on the other hand, is as bold in his asking. What is Elisha asking Elijah? Basically, when Elisha is asking for a double portion, what he is saying is, can I inherit the full authority of you, my spiritual father, to carry forward all that God has planned for you? Elisha is asking, can I inherit the full authority that you have so that I can take forward what you have planned? That's what Elijah is asking. I know some of us have heard it before, right from 2009 onwards, but firstborns are defined by pursuit. Firstborns are defined by pursuit. Firstborns are defined by pursuit. Firstborns are, are defined by pursuit. And God always anoints, God always anoints, God always anoints firstborns with the power, with the power to finish what their fathers initiated. It's a principle. You see this with Jesus too, where Jesus in John chapter 14 verse 12 turns to his disciples and says, it is good for you if I go away, because if I go away the Holy Spirit will come and you will do greater things than I have done. I mean, isn't that the ultimate statement of pursuit? You have pursued me. Great. I need to leave. Because if I don't leave, the Spirit of God can't come. And once the Spirit of God anoints you, I want you to know that He will do greater things than I have done. And so that's the principle here, right? Firstborns are defined by pursuit. And not the pursuit of human beings, though sometimes the easiest way to learn something is to run after someone who's learned it well and is running before you. But pursuit as in the things of God, some, often through human beings, but the things of God, then God always anoints firstborns with the power to finish what was initiated through their fathers. This is not where we're going. I'm just setting the stage for you. Guys, one of the things I've strongly felt uh, almost to the point of it, um, breaking my heart in a nice way is this uh, notion that God has been uh, unpacking, saying, hey, can I be amongst you like I used to be amongst the Israelites? Can you be obedient so that I can show the world what it is when a people are in relationship with God and a God dwells in their midst? Now, please hold on to the words I'm saying because I know they're God. God is asking, can I come and dwell in your midst so that you can show the world what it is for a people to be in relationship with God under all kinds of circumstances and what it looks like when God dwells in the midst of a people. Can I do that through you? Can I, can I pull you apart, Acts 29? 
And I put you apart people that are walking with Acts 29. I cannot become this. I long to do this just as I did through Israel. It is the reason why I established the church. But can I use you as a sample? Can I use you as a, a taste, like at Costco before COVID, where they used to have those things where you could go and taste and then decide whether you want to buy? Can I use you as a taste? Can I use you as a sample? So that others can see what it is for man to be in relationship with God, for a people to be in relationship with God, and for God to be dwelling in their midst so that he can say, this is what it looks like. And I'm saying, with trembling, that, ah, oh, shucks, Father, that's crazy if you want to do that, because to think that you want to do that with us, this right that much, Yeah. No, that was more birthright. Here, the pursuit would be. Uh, um, Josh was asking the question: Is this does Jacob Esau fit into this? And I'm saying Jacob Esau was not squandering what was given to you. Here, it's more the Elijah Elisha pattern or the Paul Timothy pattern. So the intent is. Uh, once a people begin to pursue this way, then God says, one, I'll anoint you to complete the work that Elijah's have started, that I initiated through Elijah's, just like I did with my disciples, when Jesus uh, anointed them. And two, uh, once you begin to walk this way, guys, God, uh, what you're at, God will invite you to ask. And when he invites you to ask, he even put the question before you. All you have to do is pick up the question and begin to ask. Just like in Psalm 2 verse uh, uh, 8, just like in um, Mark, no, not in Mark, just like in 2 Kings 2 9, where Elijah says, Can I have a double portion? And the moment you're asking that, you're asking for something ridiculous, so ridiculous that Elijah didn't even have the power to give it. You're saying, Could I have your full authority so that I can complete what you are not going to complete? It's a big thing to ask for stuff like that. The strange thing is, sometimes when you ask God for these things, God will say to you, go and ask that person and that person will give it to you. God can give it to you directly, but because he works through humans, God always releases things to us from himself through people. And that requires a degree of humility. I don't think that's a problem uh, for us, but I'm just saying that is a process. When you know what God wants to give you, and you go to a person and you say, this is what God wants to give me, can you release it to me? It's in the Bible, eh? this is, these are scriptural patterns, I'm not telling you anything that is unscriptural. So in, in the years past, guys, in the years past, God was claiming our allegiance. I mean, it's literally like that scene in 1 Kings 19, verse 19 and 21, where Elijah goes into the field where Elisha is plowing with uh, 12 oxen. And Elijah takes off his mantle and he throws it upon Elisha. Elisha does not yet own the mantle, but in throwing the mantle off to Elisha, Elijah is on behalf of God, claiming Elisha as the one who should succeed him. And I would say to you, in the years past, God has been claiming our allegiance. 
And I'm saying to you, and I said this was a prophetic message, and so I'm trusting that what I've received is from God. What I'm delivering to you is again from God without mixture or without me trying to put in my spin on it. I'm saying to you, in the years past, God was claiming our allegiance, and I think He's found us um, uh, quite responsible in terms of letting our allegiance to Him. But this is now a commissioning where it's not that He's throwing the mantle over us, He's saying, I'm passing the mantle to you so that you carry it. So what I wanted to do today is look at the signs that Elisha performed in the inheritance verses given to us from 2 Kings 2 to 2 Kings 13 to briefly look at the signs Elisha performed and draw out of that or discern out of that or decipher out of that what God has for us as a people in the year ahead. So the first sign is in 2 Kings 2, 14. First sign is in 2 Kings 2 14. 2 Kings 2 14. And so I'll start at 13. He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord the God of Elijah? He asked. When he struck the water, divided to the right and to the left and he crossed over. So the first sign that Elisha performs after having received the mantle is to take the cloak that was thrown over by Elijah and he was being caught up in a whirlwind and striking the very river that he had crossed just a little while ago. And so the first thing God wants us to know is that we have to take what people like Eddie, people like Roland, People like Mike Scandalberry, people like Jacob, people like Chad have given us already and in the year that is coming, we have to show an increasing potency in pioneering, in the prophetic, in being church-centered, In multiplying missionary, as in multiplying, not just like we're doing with the house churches, multiplying missionary, in nation impacting work. Chad, 
but there must be an increasing potency. It can't be the same. There has to be an increasing potency. Every successive use of yeast would make the dough even more potent because you would never throw all the yeast away. You would keep some back. And the next time you use yeast, you would pluck it off what you had kept and the yeast would ferment further and it would be more potent. The pur purpose, they tend me in healing, in pioneering, in the prophetic, in being church-centered, in multiplying missionally, in impacting nations, and in rest-filled worship that has the aroma of freedom. It is one of, it is one of the priceless things in this church, eh? the freedom we have in our relationship with God that absolutely buries human traditions. These are gifts given to us by Elijah's that have gone before. And I'm including myself in them because I know that Elisha is coming. And it has to increase in potency. This was the first sign. The second sign. The second sign is in chapter 2, verse 16. Chapter 2, verse 16. So I'll start with verse 15. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Look, they said, we your servants are fifty able men. Let them go and look for your master. Perhaps the spirit of, Lord, of the Lord has picked him up and set him down on some mountain or in some valley. No, Elisha replied, do not send him. But they persisted until he was too ashamed to refuse. When, when we hear that, we don't realize that what the fifty other prophets are doing is showing a, a seeming rejection or a refusal of Elijah, saying basically that no, 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 Elijah hasn't gone, he is still around, you are not yet bona fide. And so Elijah says no because he knows what just happened, but he's embarrassed because it looks like he's trying to grab the throne. And so because they insist out of embarrassment, because he's ashamed, he tells them to go ahead and search, knowing full well that they will not find him. When Moses passed on, Israel did say to Joshua, let's give it a few days, let's go look for Moses, maybe he'll still be around on that mountain and then uh, we'll decide. No, this was almost a, a deliberate rejection or refusal. And so I want to say to you in the year ahead that there will be a seeming rejection or refusal by people to accept our new position or a new form. If this is a prophetic word, and I know it is, and we were to change, then know that there will be a seeming rejection or a refusal to recognize or acknowledge or accept a new form or new position, a new shape. I pray God that it not be internal, as in it not be within the house. That would be a shame. If you're part of the house and you're not able to either embrace this or you begin to resist it, then I feel bad for you because you will miss out. The thing with resisting any well, you know, anything that is God, and I realize you'll have to weigh this, that just because I actually I find that so um, such a cop out sometimes. I don't go and weigh this. I think half the time it's because we don't want to accept things uh, immediately. We want to figure out whether we want to accept it or not. 
Very few when they say wait, actually go home and pour over scriptures for two, three hours, comparing things to figure out whether it's God or not. Very few spend two or three hours praying, saying, Father, please show me if this revelation is from you or not. Basically, it's kind of a pop up, but we won't go there today. All I'm saying is, if there's uh, the need to figure this out, feel free. Um, but here's the thing a seeming rejection or refusal by people to accept a new shape, a new position, a new form. If it is from the outside, it's fine. Um, because the way to approach it, like Elisha, is to just wait till they run, run out of reasonable excuses, they exhaust excuses and turn to technologists, or they reject as outright. But there will be rejection when form changes. There will be rejection when shape changes. There will be rejection. There will be a refusal to acknowledge. So get ready for small skirmishes but uh, we do it with great patience and much embarrassment. But internally, if you resist this, then I feel bad for you, because once you begin to resist what is a God move, then not only do you get left out, but every time truth is resisted, a delusion comes in, First Thessalonians. Every time truth is resisted, a delusion comes in. The third sign. The third, third sign is in 2.19. Third sign is in 2.19. The men of the city said to Elisha, Look, our Lord, this town is well situated, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Bring me a new bowl, he said, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring and he threw salt into it, saying, This is what the Lord says. I have need this water, never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained wholesome to this day, according to the word Elisha has spoken. So God will give us, sorry, God will give us in the year ahead the permission and the power. Just before I continue with that. Guys, every time God speaks a prophetic word, He is telling you how He sees us right now. Our difficulty is being able to see us as God sees us. Until we see ourselves as God is telling us He sees ourselves, we will not walk in the permission that He has given. Therein lies the battle. At least for me, that is the greatest battle. When God says something, I find it so hard now to actually see myself the way he sees me. Believing is easy. Yeah, I believe. Hallelujah. I have faith for it. How about not having faith and knowing that you have become? That is difficult. If you have to exert faith for the prophetic, there's nothing wrong with it, but you must recognize that you have not become. And the intent of the prophetic is always to bring you to a place where you have become. Once you become, you don't need faith. Once you become, you don't need faith. With the prophetic, you need faith while you're wrestling with it. Like Paul says to Timothy, war with the prophetic word, as in wrestle with it, engage with it. Why? Because you need faith to believe God for what he's saying. But how do I know that a time has come where I have become what God has prophetically declared? It is when I no longer need faith to walk in the things God said I was going to do. I know it.
So the third sign of Jericho, where the waters were toxic and um, bar brought about barrenness, and then Elijah changed it, uh, basically is saying to us that the permission God has given us the permission and the power to end these three things. One, bitter years in the lives of people. Bitter years in lives. Two, unfruitfulness. Three, things stuck in a cycle of aborting where everything you start never sees completion. God is saying, I'm giving you power and I'm giving you permission, church, to end bitter years in the lives of people. There might be people amongst us within our local bodies, not outside, who uh, who who suffered bitter years in the past and it has left a mark, it has left a mark on your psyche, it has left a mark on uh, your personality and if I were you, I would take God at his word. This, when it is being released to a people, some of these things can be done by anybody at Acts 29. Some of these things will need training. Some of these, anybody at Acts 29 can do it. Even the, the, the littlest amongst us can do it. Why? Because God is saying he will. And some other things may require some training or, 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 or God calling us into a place to deal with stuff. But things like this, anybody can do. I'm excited about pouring over this uh, in the future. So we have the permission and the power all across the earth to end can you imagine the words that I'm saying? I mean, either we are full of ourselves, and I definitely am full of myself, or this is God. Because we say that God has given us permission and power anywhere in the earth to end bitter years. To end unfruitfulness. And the cycle of aborted starts where others have prayed and to no way. Like in Jericho, many of these prophets that accompanied uh, Elijah and Elijah initially lived in Jericho. It wasn't as if they hadn't been approached to pray for Jericho, but they had prayed that it had been of no avail. And similarly, there'll be places that you go to where people who, who can pray better, who have more faith than you, who have prayed and it is of no avail. And then you, like the message uh, version says, you, the littlest runt of the pack, turn up and you pray a very clumsy, unsophisticated prayer, <laughs> God turns up. <laughs> this is the permission and the power He's giving us across the earth. Now we see why. It, uh, when uh, Derek was saying, Father, we thank you that you have given us purpose. God just keeps giving us purpose, man. And what is he giving when he gives purpose? He's giving his purpose. He's giving us a, a part in his purpose. These are things precious to him. He's always been someone who wants to end bitter years. 
The fourth sign. The fourth sign is in chapter 2, verse 23 and 24. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, some youths or some young lads came out of the town and jeered at him. Go on up, you baldy. Go on up, you baldy, they said. Go on up, you baldy. He turned around, looked at them, and called on a curse. So Elisha turned around, looked at them, and called on a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. And he went to Mount Carmel and from there returned to Samaria. Uh, this sounds like a terrible story, especially when you think of it from a New Testament perspective. But uh, if Elijah was a hairy one, because uh, the Bible talks about him as, uh, you know, in fact, Ahab actually says, uh, was the prophet you met on the road, the hairy guy? And they said, yeah. And he said, yeah, yeah, that's Elijah. If Elijah was a hairy one, Elijah was the uh, baldy one. And so, uh, the same thing that Elijah is doing here, Elijah had done in 2 Kings 1, 9 to 14. 2 Kings 1, 9 to 14. You see Elijah engaging in something like this. I'm reading from 2 Kings 1, 9 to 14. Then he said, then he sent to Elijah a captain with his company of 50 men. The captain went to Elijah and was sitting on the top of a hill and said to him, Man of God, the king says, come down. Elijah answered the captain, If I'm a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then fire from heaven consumed the captain and his men. And this the king said to him, sent to Elijah, another captain with his 50 men. The captain said to him, Man of God, this is what the king says, come down at once. If I'm a man of God, Elijah replied, May fire come down from heaven, consume you and your 50 men. Then the fire of God fell from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. Then a third captain came, and his attitude was different. Man of God, he begged, Please have respect for my life and the lives of these 50 men, your servants. Fire has fallen from heaven, consumed the first two, but now have respect for my life. The angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him and do not be afraid of him. Elijah got up and went down with him to the king. It's a similar situation that is happening here. What do we draw out of this, or what is God asking us to draw out of this? God is saying, decree divine judgments. Decree divine judgments against powers that come to dismantle or destroy the church. You know, the only place in the New Testament where God says, if you destroy this temple, I will destroy you, is not when he's talking about our personal bodies, but he's talking about the church. Sorry, go ahead. This is the future giving for the leader of this, or is this already ours? The illusion and power. It is already ours because this is how God sees us, and He's not work waiting till December 31st. Um, but uh, it might take us a little longer past December 31st to wrap our heads around it. So Elijah is doing here what Elijah had done, and uh, this is something that we may have to learn. Some of us may know how to do it; most of us don't, and. God willing, if we stick to God's plan, 
they teach us how to come against powers. And sometimes these powers are powers that others may revere, others may hold up um, high. And these powers need to be dismantled because they are about destroying um, the people of God. The thing is, guys, our battle is no longer against flesh and blood. In Luke 9.55, if you read the New King James, because it doesn't say so in the NIV, but in the New King James, if you read Luke 9.55, John and James actually were pretty upset with the way a village had treated Jesus. And they say to Jesus, Jesus, do you want us to call on fire? They actually believed they could. And Jesus says, uh, you're of the wrong spirit. Because he knew that he would be rejected. He knew that he would be crucified. He did not come to judge, but he came to save. And so our, our battle is not against flesh and blood. So we, we're not going against people, but powers must be decreed divine judgment on. One of, the, one of the scriptures I learned 25 years ago was Psalm 149. And I've used it so often. Psalm 149. The saints lie down on their beds, and in their mouths are high praises. Psalm 149, verse 5. Let the saints rejoice in their honor and sing for joy on their beds. May the praise of God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hands to inflict vengeance on the nations, punishment of peoples, to bind their kings with fetters, their nobles with shackles of iron, to carry out the sentence written against them, this is the glory of all his saints. Praise the Lord. So this is not supposed to be limited to a few, but it must be done. Can you read that one Psalm 149? Yeah, verse 5 to 9. But I can oblige you. The fifth sign is from chapter 3, verse 17. The fifth sign. It's from chapter 3, 2nd Kings chapter 3, verse 17, the fifth sign. And this is a, a story where there was no water. It's fascinating how both uh, Elijah and Elisha have something to do with water coming out of nowhere. One from above and here from below. And so um, the fifth sign is... Uh, 17. Reading. While the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha and he said, This is what the Lord says Make this valley full of ditches. For this is what the Lord says You will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water. And you and your cattle and your other animals will drink. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also hand Moab over to you. Guys, what I heard God saying about this is that He will provide us Isaiah 30, Isaiah 32, verse 2. Kind of leaders in this church. Kind of leaders in this church. And in the churches that we are connected with. Who will cause streams to flow in the desert? 
Hold on, Isaiah 32. Isaiah 32. These are the kind of leaders that will be produced over the next one year and beyond. I'm reading from verse 1. See, a king will reign in righteousness. If you're a leader in the church you're at, if you're a leader at Acts 29 in any capacity, I want you to begin to think like this. This is the role that is required of you. Isaiah 32, 1, 1, starting at 1. See, a king will reign in righteousness and rulers will rule with justice. Each man, I love this, each leader, I pray God that I'll be this to you. Each leader will be like a shelter from the wind, refuge from the storm, streams of water in the desert, and the shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land. Then the eyes of those who see will not no, no longer be closed and the ears of those who hear will listen. The mind of the rash will know and understand and the stammering tongue will be fluid and clear. No longer will the fool be called noble, nor the scoundrel be highly respected. The point is, it is not through teaching that you are able to train your people. It is through modeling what Christ did for us, bring into places that were parched, streams of living water. Isaiah 35 puts it so brilliantly. Isaiah 35. Let the crocus, crocus bloom in the desert land. I think that's how it starts off. Yeah, Isaiah 35, what? The desert and the parched land will be glad, and the wilderness will rejoice and bloom like a crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout. Why? Because God is bringing sleep to the desert. Verse uh, 6. Then the lame will leap like a deer, the mute tongue will shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert. And how are the leaders going to achieve this? They will achieve it by calling to us, calling to us, by calling to us things that do not exist. One of the things this church will specialize in is the ability to get God things not from the seen, but from the unseen. But from the unseen. You would think to yourself, this is such a tall order, exactly, this is why it's God. You would think to yourself, all this cannot be accomplished or achieved by us uh, exactly. It will all have to be God. You could think to yourself, David's pretty good, but he can't pull this off. Absolutely. It'll have to be a God thing. So sign, the fifth sign was God will raise Isaiah 32, 1 to 4 kind of shepherd leaders in our midst who will bring streams in the desert, who will call to us things of God from the unseen into the seen, so that every Everything that is parched will be glad. This is what Elijah does through that sign. You just watch, by this time tomorrow, there'll be enough water in this valley. Start digging ditches. But here's the thing, guys. There will be no wind, there will be no rain, but this valley will be full of water. What a beautiful thing to do. What are we, what are we setting, what, what is God setting us up for, man? It must be a hallmark of the church's 
that are listening to this teaching, eh? that we, like God, bring things out of nothing through the commanded word. That is how we bring to pass things. Because they then have the quality of God. It has the aroma of Yahweh. It won't be uh, man-made. The next sign is in chapter 4, verse 1. Second Kings, this is the sixth sign. Chapter 4, verse 1. Second Kings, chapter 4, verse 1. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets um, cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. So now his creditors are coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditors are coming to take my two boys as his slaves. One of the things God uses powerfully throughout the year is to provide for one who served faithfully, but for various reasons that fallen upon hard times. Throughout the world, God will have us provide for his servants who serve him faithfully, but for various reasons, sometimes mistakes, sometimes not, but for various reasons have fallen upon hard times and uh, we will provide for them across the earth. I just want to um, action this immediately because while I was preparing this teaching, I got a text message from Jeeva. Let me just go get my phone and come. So the pastor stepped off the stage and he went rummaging in his bag and finally he found his iPhone 12 Pro he walked back on stage. Then he read Jeevan's message. Let's see. So this was something he wrote yesterday. Um, my uncle passed away yesterday. He's a pastor, Vijay Chandra, 41 years old, a faithful servant of this and a and a son of God. Two kids, 9 and 17. 17 years of faithful ministry in one of the toughest places in Andhra, which is a province in India. One of his ties was weak since childhood. He only moved with a, in a three-wheeler vehicle. His lungs became weak. Breathing has become heavy for the past few months and he passed away yesterday. I was in the process of preparing these notes and I thought to myself that uh, to answer Diana's questions, is this something that awaits us later or starts now? It starts now. So here's what I want you to do. Uh, just uh, almost in response uh, to God as in we agree with you and we believe what you're saying, just interact $5 to Acts29.ca, Gmail, whatever the address is. Eh? Just $5. It's an action. We are partaking in an action. Actually, I does not need money from you to send to this person. We have the money. We are not doing it because we are collecting money. We are doing it because we are responding to something that God has called us to. And so, five dollars seems like very little, and you probably pay a dollar fifty for just uh, interact transfer. Uh, so be it. Yeah. 
I guess I'll have to wait for a couple of minutes. Oh, shucks, I could do it too. This is just a token obedience, so I just send five dollars and it's a message to say Elijah's portion. If you want to, I'm just making it more complicated. I think must be watching this or will be watching this Here is a son that was promised to a woman 
who have not had a child and it is given as a promise. The child grows up and the child dies. The woman knew how to persist. She had some kind of audacity in her, the same kind of audacity that the Syrophoenician woman had. That I'm going to take this boy and I'm going to lay him down on the prophet's bed. And then after that, neither Gehazi nor Elisha's staff were enough to heal and revive this boy. And she wouldn't settle for it. So she wants a donkey and she wants a servant and she wants to go get the man. It isn't enough. This is like one of the story in Mark 5.24 where Jairus uh, uh, goes to Jesus and says, My daughter is sick, will you come? And Jesus doesn't send a word. Jesus doesn't say, Go, your servant will be healed. Jesus says, I will come. He's delayed on the way. But Jairus doesn't give up either. And then those beautiful words, Talitha Kumi, and little girl arrives and she arises. So, we are being called to contend for God, for what God has ordained, so that the son who was born will not meet an, meet an untimely death. But contending, here is a catch, guys. Here is a catch. Contending will require a stretching of your life from the boy. Mouth to mouth, hand to hand, feet to feet, stretched out on the boy to revive him. Neither Elisha's staff nor Gehazi will do, but an actual pouring out of your life is the only way to revive some really dead situations. And I say, Father, in humility, but sounding proud, bring it on about. Not because we are capable, but because we want to know what it is. To be able to stretch out our lives to give life. I'll read the rest, Father. It says there that Elisha reads the house, verse 32. And there was a boy lying dead on his couch. He went and shut the door on the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and lay upon the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hand. And he, as he stretched himself out, out, out upon him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room. Man, do you see? It hasn't happened. The bones have just come together. The bones are yet in the valley and they have, they've come together, but nothing else has happened. And Elijah is now walking to and fro, not knowing what to do next, remembering that Elijah had done something like this. And so he goes, and in verse 35, Elijah turned away, walked back and forth in the room, got on the bed, stretched out upon him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. I pray this happens to quite a few of us here. Reviving dead situations. A theme that runs through Elijah's life and through Acts 29 and the churches that walk with us. A theme that will run through our life next year is reviving things that are dead or decaying or almost gone. There's no way to get it back. Eighth sign, chapter 4, verse 39 to 41. 8, sorry, chapter 4, verse 39 to 41. One of them went into the fields to gather herbs and found a wild wine. He gathered some of his goods and filled the fold of his cloak. When he returned, he cut them up into a pot of stew, though no one knew what they were. The stew was poured out for the men, and as they began to eat it, they cried out, Oh man of God, there is death in the pot, and they could not eat it. Elijah said, Get some flour. 
We put it in the pot and said, serve it to the people to eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. The eighth sign is, I love this. I want to see how it works. We will see. We will see the preserving power. Have we not seen it already this year? Hasn't God watched over water and guarded this little family? Hasn't he just covered us with his canopy of glory? Hasn't he prevented the enemy from exacting a price out of us? Hasn't he kept affliction at bay? We will see the preserving power of God like in uh, Mark 16 like in Mark 16 uh, 18 a, where it says and these are the signs that shall follow believers they shall pick up snakes and drink poison and no harm shall come to them Psalm 91 verse 6 that even though there be arrows that fly by day, day, pestilence by night, even though a thousand fall on your right and ten thousand on your left, no harm shall come to you and no plague shall befall your tent. Acts 28 verse 5. And while they were gathering wood, a snake wrapped itself around Paul's arm and bit him, and they expected Paul to fall down and die. Instead, Paul shook off the snake and continued to preach. We will see the preserving power of God. Remind me of this. When things happen, and I don't know how to respond. When things happen, and you don't know how to respond, remind each other of these ridiculous, generous, gracious, I can't understand why promises from God to us. Remind ourselves. Tell each other. This is something that you need to do. You go to um, Haggai or Malachi. I'll tell you in a second. Mm. Okay, go to Malachi. Yeah. Chapter 3, verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty. In the day when I make up my treasured possessions, I will spare them just as a compassionate man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked between those who serve God and those who do not. And how did God arrive at a point and deciding who were honoring him, who were revering him? He listened. He listened to what they said. And how did they honor and revere him? They repeated what they had heard from him. Guys, like I said in the beginning, God is saying, hey, can you become a people in whose midst I can dwell so I can show people what it is when I dwell amongst the people, and can you become a people who can show others what it is, what it is to be in relationship with God? And do this. And one of the ways we do this is to talk about the things we have said. 
Sure, talk about the word. But the beautiful thing about this prophetic message is that it is being extracted straight out of scriptures. Yeah. Are these prophetic signs going to progress from one to the other for actual life? No. It's 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 uh, um, it's like the rain. It will be a thousand drops on your head at the same time. Every time you stick out your tongue, one drop will hit it. So you have to taste it and decide which drop it is. Second part of the question: yeah. Is there an order, or are they going to happen at the same time? Yeah, it's the same time. Yeah, same as well. We will see the preserving power at work. I look forward to it. They remind ourselves of this. Remind each other of this. Because we preserving power of God. The next one, ninth sign, is from chapter 4, verse 42. Chapter 4, verse 42. If you want to know how many signs there are, twice as many as Elijah. So you can start reading Elijah later on and then. What if Elijah had 15 signs? You know what that means, right? We'll be here for a while. Thank God he decided to leave early and God took him away, otherwise we'd be here for a while. So chapter 4 verse 42. Second Kings chapter 4 verse 42. Second Kings chapter 4 verse 42. A man from Baal Shalisha. A man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man about 20 loaves of barley bread, baked uh, from the first ripe grain along with some heads of new grain. Give it to the people to eat, Elijah said. How can I send this before a hundred men? His servant asked. And Elijah answered, Give it to the people to eat. For this is what the Lord says. They will eat and have some left over. Then he said it before them, and they ate and had some left over, according to the word of the Lord. Um, guys, the last time I spoke about this, or taught this, was in 2010, and uh, 2010, and I haven't uh, touched it since, and uh, feel that since this is something God wants us to do, I need to uh, speak about it. Release first fruits. Release first fruits. Release first fruits. Release first fruits. People who were here in the early years of Acts 29 practice this principle all these years. Eh? Uh, release first fruits. Um, part of it you can find in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 26. Is a, in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6, also it talks about it. And so the idea of first fruits, and I release first fruits, why? So that it may, so that it may multiply to feed others. So that it may multiply to feed others. So that it may multiply to feed others. I love that principle. About two, two and a half years ago, three years ago, Eric had pointed out the story that um, first fruits were not necessarily to be collected and kept for one's own uh, benefit, but first fruits could be brought and multiplied and uh, given to others to be fed. So the principle of first fruits is very simple. Uh, a farmer who had sown his crops would see the first sheaf appearing and he would collect the grain and not knowing what awaited him in the future. Not knowing whether the locusts would come and eat the rest of the crop. Not knowing whether the rains would fail. Not knowing whether there would be a 
dry windstorm that would destroy the crop, not knowing whether the winter would be so cold that the ice wine grapes would just um, rot, not knowing any of these, they would bring the first sheaf and present it to the temple or to the priest or to whoever was in the vicinity that they wanted to give the first fruits to. And here's what they were saying. They were saying, oh God, here is the first and the best. We don't know what will happen to the rest of the crop, but we want to honor you first. And God would turn to them and say, hey, you could have kept this for yourself. If you were smart, you would have kept it aside because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But instead of going about it that way, you have brought me the first. So here's what I'm going to do. Because you brought me the first, I will bless the rest. And this is why that Paul uses in Romans chapter 9 where he says, if the first is holy, then the rest is holy. And so, long ago in 2009 and 10, when this was taught, people began to, in the beginning of the year, decide, okay, even though I don't know what awaits me in 2021, even though I don't know what, ha- what will happen to my job, my company, here, oh God, is a portion of the first that I received, and I give it to you. And what is that portion? Completely up to you. There have been people who have given the first hour of their work, the first day of their work, the first week of their work, the first month of their work. That scared me. And who do you give it to? You give it to people who have broken bread and wine into your lives. And I would say to those that receive these first fruits, multiply them and feed others with it. This is not so that one becomes rich with first fruits. This is so that we practice what Baal Shalish, the man from Baal Shalish did. He bought his first fruits, placed it before Elisha. Elisha is holding it, multiplies it, and he multiplies it in such a way that it was impossible to feed a hundred and he was able to feed. And so that's one of the things I've been going to do to the first fruits, fruits I received. I multiply it as in I add to it and then supply it to more. And I also know how to give. And it's up to each person how one gives. The principle is, honor the Lord with something that you have in your hand, even though you don't know what the rest will look like. So I decided early in the year, given how God blessed me in 2020, and given how He loves blessing, this is what I believe will be my increase in 2021. So here is a portion, Father, and I send it to different Melchizedek's next in my life. People who have broken bread and wine into some of them local, some of them outside. And here's what God says in Proverbs 3. He says, honor me with your first fruits, and I will bless you. And the ones that have practiced this in Acts 29 for the last 10 years, and others from outside of Acts 29 and practices, their lives have only increased. It has not decreased. And some of them are sitting here. So, this is a principle that God, for whatever reason, wants us to pay attention to in 2021. It is not, it is not something that can be legislated. You cannot be coerced. All giving should be cheerful, without grudging, without compulsion, without emotional blackmail. It should be freely given hilariously. So the ninth sign of release first fruits that multiply to feed others. Guys, one of the things God wants to bring to pass in Acts 29 is Acts chapter 4, verse 34. Acts chapter 4, verse 34. Acts 4, 34. And it will happen. It has already begun, but God will bring this to pass. A working model of Acts chapter 4, verse 34. Why? Because God wants to use this 
as a people in his whose midst he dwells, and he can show people what a people amongst whom I dwell look like. And that was a complicated sentence. Acts chapter 4, verse 34. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the same, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to everyone as he had need. Churches should end poverty in their midst. We have to practice this and show this. Acts 29 already does. It does it as a church, it does it as individuals amongst yourself. When I hear of what you have done for each other, it always puts the pastor to shame. When I hear how nobody prompts you, you don't tell anybody, I hear it from the person who has received, it blows my mind. And that is like Acts 29, the church gives gives generously. As soon as it hears of a need, the money is there. But we should become a church like that, where poverty is not a condition that people in the church suffer. So when I ask you how are you doing financially, I'm not asking you uh, that because there's no other topic to talk about. There's always rain. And the Canucks, starting January 13th. But uh, it's because it is a question that must be asked. Tenth sign. Chapter 5, verse 8 and 7. Guys, we will finish by 4. So, not too many signs left. Acts chapter 5, verse 8 and 17. Acts chapter 5, verse 8 and 17. Oh, sorry, 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 8 and 17. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have, have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Verse 17. Naaman initially was arrogant. He didn't want to do what Elisha said. Finally, he does it, and then in verse 17, it says, If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimon to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm, and I bow there also. When I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha said. The tenth sign, altering the future of rulers and nations. Altering the future, altering the future of rulers and nations. Altering the future of rulers and nations. Really, Jacob? Absolutely. This thing is easy peasy because none of us have connections. None of us know how to do this. This is so far, it's like raising the dead. Whenever you're good at something, you rely less on God. When you're absolutely zero, then God turns up big time. Altering the future of rulers and nations. The initial reticence that some of the pagan rulers we will come in touch with will soon change to a recognition of Christ as God. And they will also recognize you as his mouthpiece, as with Laban. Guys, I've seen this. I've had audiences with rulers, with ministers, with kings, that there was no way a guy like me could have access. And I didn't even have the clothes to wear before him. 
I wore a half sleeve shirt and a tie that I borrowed, and I thought to myself, my God, you look foolish. But it doesn't matter because what came out of my mouth was enough. And then there are two things that happen. One, they recognize Christ as God and they swear off their idol gods. And two, they recognize you as a mouthpiece of your God. And if what we have tasted in the past was just a test run, then now is the real thing where depending on your pursuit of God, God will place you in positions where you will be able to touch and affect the destiny of rulers and nations. This has always been something actually has had. So it's, uh, it doesn't surprise me at all. I'd be surprised if it wasn't there. So let COVID lift, let the flights begin. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Father, if you want us to do this, I don't think email will work because we have no access to their emails. But we have access to nations. So I pray, Father, would you now cause flights to resume, borders to open? Not because we are at sea or we have the travel, but I lost it. But so, God, that your kingdom, your power, your glory may be known in the nations according to this word as we can. Eleventh sign, chapter six, verse one. Eleventh sign, chapter six, verse one. The company of the prophets said to Elisha, "Look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan, where each of us can get a pole, and let us build a place there for us to live." So here's what God is saying: Others will come and ask for patterns and permission to build. Others will come and ask for patterns and permission to build. They will ask us for their, our help. They will come and say, can you help us build? When they lose their way, they'll come and say, could you help us retrieve the accent? And we will help them retrieve the accent. We will help them recover direction. We will help them uh, regain momentum. I would say to you who are listening, when people come to you and talk to you about building, about church, and ask you about your church, or ask you anything, open, open your mouths and lives and begin to tell them about what God is building in our midst. We can't take credit for it. This didn't come out of some great strategizing. This came out sheerly out of people that were sent to us at the right time and we didn't know better. In the year ahead, know that many will come to us asking for patterns and for permission and ask for craftsmanship from you saying, could you? And they won't come to me. They'll come to you. You'll have to tell them what you know. And then someone else will come and fill in another part. By the time five people work together, the building is built. I'm saying this to guys in Bahrain, in Sydney, in Brisbane, in uh, uh, Vernon, in uh, Mongolia, in uh, Lithuania, in the UK. Guys, if this has already happened, what do you think God is going to do now? There is this thing called momentum in God. And it is not multiplication, it's exponential. It's like God saying, you've reached critical mass. Twelve signs. Chapter 6, verse 12. 
Sorry, verse 7. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and commanded of them, Will you not tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers. But Elijah the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. The destiny of nations, this goes with what we had said earlier, the destiny of nations will be shaped on this anvil called Acts 29 and the churches that we walk in, where God will let us in on the destruction, on the, on the destructive plans of the enemy, where God will let us in, where God will let us in on the destruction that the enemy is planning, and God will help us strategize with counterattacks from heaven. I know these words sound heavy, so let me give you a simple example. Five nights ago, I had a dream. And in the dream, it is a, a ruler of a certain nation that we have been to. And in the dream, the ruler is calling together some people and telling them to practice a certain ritual against certain people and certain pastors in the nation. And I wake up, I um, make a mental note of it, and I call up a pastor who can spread the word around. So that as this man begins to practice this ritual, the pastor and his team can begin to nullify the ritual. This was just five nights ago. The only reason I'm not telling you more is because this is a recorded message. But God will begin to wake up those that are willing to be trained for battle and your fingers to walk. God will begin to help us see the destructive plans of the enemy and help us strategize with counterattacks from heaven. And to see this, I've never dealt with this ruler before. And it's so clear, just like um, uh, full color, Panavision kind of thing. And he's organizing this ritual, calling uh, people, planning how to uh, do harm to the nation. And he thinks it's not harm. He thinks it's good, but it's not. A few here, will learn to command near the chariots and horses of Israel. A few. So that you will learn how to fight the princes of Persia and the princes of Greece like in Daniel. A few will do that this year. Some others will have their eyes open so that like Elijah's servant, they begin to recognize spiritual realities and then in the years ahead, will probably step into the space where you read the command here, the chariots and the horses of Israel. Jacob, you're saying that all this is going to happen to us? Hey, what can I do if God is God? I got no say in this. I can't make it happen. You think, I don't think this is a lot. You think, I don't think it is heavy. But you think, I don't, uh, you think I'm not excited. This is what we live for, man. Let heaven come. This is what it will look like. Let heaven come. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory forever. Amen. Let heaven come. And when it comes, you think you are not so strong, not like only during worship. No, this is what it will look like on a 24 7 basis. So now let me give you the good news. There's three more signs. The 13th sign, chapter 8, verse 1. 13th sign, chapter 8, verse 1. Now Elijah had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, Go away with your family and stay for a while wherever you can, because the Lord has decreed a famine in the land that will last seven years. 
The woman proceeded to do as the man of God said. She and her family went away and stayed in the land of Philistine for seven years. Guys, I truly believe, and I've never seen this, and I wish someone had done this for COVID. I truly believe that from among us will rise Elijah's and Agabus's. Agabus was a prophet in Acts 11, 28, who during the reign of one of the Caesars predicted that there would be a famine in the land, and so the church was able to prepare for it. Acts chapter 11, verse 28. During the time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did by sending their gift uh, to, to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. I pray God that in this church will begin to rise seers who are able to see events, sometimes calamities, or able to see situations that are foretold and then able to decree wisdom so that the Shunammite can be preserved by the spoken word. Both have to happen. These are good things, guys. Why is it that these stories are in the Old Testament? Why is it that these stories are in the Book of Acts? Why is it that there are no such stories now? Why is it that it doesn't happen in the West? Why doesn't it happen in Vancouver? But praise God because He is faithful, He is true, He is powerful, and He alone can do it. Amen. Let it be so, Lord. In our midst. May seers arise. Guys, He has laid claim to our allegiance. He has taught us. He has made it normal for us to listen to the voice of God. He has made it normal to see prophetic as a part of everything we do and when we meet together. Now let it be for the benefit of the world, not just for our benefit. We've received enough prophetic words to last us a lifetime. Many more prophetic words than I won't have. I'll have to live to 120 before I come to them. Have you noticed how at the heart of almost everything we've said lies the need to speak? And this will be a problem. The mask has given us even a greater ability not to speak. Because at least your expressions will tell me that you wanted to speak. Now even that is gone. But at the heart of the Elisha cycle is the need to speak. And I would say this very, very strongly. Those who won't speak will not inherit or participate in the portion. Those who don't speak will not inherit or participate in the portion. You cannot speak mediocrity or complacency as in neither this nor that, neither a yes nor a no. No! Acts 29, if you do not speak, you will not participate or inherit this portion. It is the only caution or uh, uh, rebuke in this whole teaching. You must speak. And you can't choose neutrality. Yeah, kind of. No, also. Huh, eh. These gestures and sounds are not allowed. You know, Eddie's son, and I've shared this with some of you, Eddie's son, the one who came here, Paul. When Paul was young, um, he had a middle name. I forgot what his middle name is. But uh, his parents loved his middle name, so they would call him his middle name. Paul didn't speak for the first two or three years. But God had very clearly told Eddie and Yvonne 
call it all. But they loved his middle name. So for the first two or three years of his life, they would always call him by his middle name. And the boy would not respond and the boy would not talk. One day Paul's elder brother, Edward, turned to him and everyone was trying to get Paul to talk and it's three or three and a half or so now and he hasn't said a word. And at some point, Edward, his older brother by two or three years, turns to Paul and he says, for God's sake, man, talk. After all, your name is Paul. And the boy begins to speak. It is important that we learn in the year ahead to speak God words. Not your own words, not your neutral stance so that you don't get into trouble. Not the traditions of men that keep us silent. Not our culture because we differ. We must, because we not must, we belong to another kingdom. 14th sign, chapter 8, verse 7 to 15. 14th sign, chapter 8, 2nd Kings, chapter 8, verse 7 to 15. Elisha went to Damascus and Ben-Hazad, the king of Aram, Aram was there. When the king was told, man of God has come all the way up here, he said to Hazay, take a gift with you and go and meet the man of God. Consult the Lord told him, ask him, will I recover from the sinners? Hazael went to meet Elijah, taking him, hey, taking uh, with him as a gift 40 camel loads of all the finest wares of Damascus. He went in and stood before him and said, Your son Ben Hadad, king of Aram, has sent me to ask, Will I recover from this illness? Elijah answered, Go and say to him, You will certainly recover. But the Lord has revealed to me that he will in fact die. He stared at him with a fixed gaze until Hazael felt ashamed. Then the man of God began to weep. Why is my Lord weeping? asked Hazael, because I know the harm he will do to the Israelites. He will set fire to the fortified palaces, kill their young men with a sword, dash their little children to the ground, rip open their pregnant women. Hazael said, How could your servant, a mere dog, accomplish such a feat? The Lord has shown me that he will become king of Aram, answered Elisha. Then Hazael left Elisha and returned to his master. When Ben Hadad asked him, What did Elisha say to you? Hazael replied, He told me that you would certainly become out. But the next day he took a thick cloth, soaked it with water, spread it over the king's face so that he died. Then Hazael succeeded in the best king. Why I read this long story was in 1 Kings 19.15. In 1 Kings 19.15, Elijah had said that it was one of the things that needed to be done. Hazael had to be crowned the king. And it is something that Elijah did not do that is now being completed by Elijah. 1 Kings 19.15. And the Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. And Elijah did not. He decided to resign and be raptured rather than finish what he was called to. The 14th sign is this We will finish what Elijah started, but were unable for different reasons to complete. We will finish what Elijah has started but were unable or are unable to finish for different reasons. Maybe some of them are old, maybe some of them have given up uh, trying, maybe some of them haven't grown. Different reasons why Elijahs do not finish what they're supposed to finish. Maybe some of them are frightened. Maybe some of them are lacked faith. I pray God that you will not have to say that about me. That we have to finish what Jacob had started because Jacob for reasons of age 
for a lack of faith, for not having grown, would, was not able to complete what God gave, so we have to complete it. May it not be said of you or of me, but we will have to finish something that Elijah has started. And that's so sad sometimes, eh? but it has to be done. I remember when we first went to Shillong, uh, first time I went to Shillong, I met this guy called Isham, and uh, realized what we were supposed to do in Shillong. And so I went to meet this man whose name was Skinner, Pastor Skinner. And he was the one who started the mission work in Shillong, and I knew that it hadn't been completed. And when I went to meet him, he was paralyzed, he could not speak. And I knew that I had to meet him and tell him that, listen, my name is Jacob, you not, do not know me. But we've been spent, sent specifically to Shalom. And I'm here to say to you that I will complete what God asked me to start. And then I asked him to pray for me. I took his hand and I honored him with um, money and uh, asked him to give me the permission to finish what he had begun in Shalom, because he was not capable of. A little later he died. Sometimes Elijah's do not finish. Yeah. I sorrow over that. Last point. 15th sign. Chapter 13, verse 21. 2nd Kings 13, 21. Elisha died and was buried, and the Moabite tribe raiders used to enter the country every spring. Once while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders. So they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. When the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. Crazy, eh? Even a dead man can't stop. I mean, here is a 15th sign that happens after he's dead. Isn't that cool? I want to say to you that we will infect anybody who comes near us with resurrection life. Acts 5.15, even the shadow. Now people start lining up their sick so that they hope that the shadow that Peter cast, like the shadow that Peter cast, would heal the sick. The point being that it is, it is given to us in the year ahead to revive dead legacies. Revive dead institutions that now um, are built on the bones of some famous man of God who died 50 years ago. Denominations to revive dead legacies, desolate heritages as it says in Isaiah 49. Prostitutes like Mary, fearful soldiers like Gideon, valleys full of bones, nations to be able to revive them by the Spirit so and so that. They get infected when they come in touch with us. I know that's such a boast, such a large claim. I don't even know how it's going to play out. But all I know is I can trust God for his faithfulness. So I'm going to ask um, the uh, music team to come back and sing that song, the last song they sang. And uh, after that, we're done. So as soon as the song is done, feel free to switch off. Meanwhile, sing the song in response to what we've heard. Because I think. Placing ourselves on the potter's wheel is critical because the clay that he wants to shape, man 
No human on earth can do it. It'll have to be God. It'll have to be God. Thank you.